You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Compromise is the Christian's deadliest enemy. It's one of the most dangers facing the Christian today. We give in here, we give in there, we don't think it's any harm, and then pretty soon down the pike, we're caught up into a situation that we never saw coming because of the first little compromise long ago. Compromise is a tool by Satan himself. Compromise is clever, it's seductive, it's deadly. It's one of the most deadly tactics that Satan has ever invented. And he uses it against Christians. Today, Pastor Dave speaks to you about compromise. It's the most dangerous thing you face as a Christian today. As you give in to sin, you are making room for bigger sin to enter your life. Satan knows he can't get you to commit massive sin. But if he can get you to drop your standards, then he knows you will. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 9 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. We are in 1 Kings. We are still in 1 Kings. We are in chapter 9. So if you'll take your Bibles out and open them to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10. So let's pray, please. Bow your hearts before our Lord. Gracious and most heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to give you praise and glory. For the works of your hands that we see upon those who have been afflicted, those who are hurting and are sick, those who are recovering from various things that have happened to them, Father God. We are so blessed to see you helping them to recover, and by your healing hands, they're getting better, Father God. We pray, Lord, and we even know that there are those, Lord, from other places, Lord, that have lost loved ones, and we ask, Father God, that you would be with them and comfort them and and help them during this time. So, Father, we thank you. We're just overwhelmed by your love. So, Lord, now as we look to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would just open our hearts. Open our hearts to receive from you, Lord. Your children have come to hear from you, Father God. They've come and they're seeking righteousness. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we know that your word says that those that do hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So, Lord, fill them afresh with you. And, Lord, as I've prayed several times, give us more. Oh, Lord, we want more of you. We want more of you, Lord. We can never get enough. So, Lord, give us more. Help us, Lord, to look to you for all our needs, for everything. Because, Lord, you've given us everything for life and godliness through our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. So now, Lord, as we come to your word, bless us. Bless this time. Fill us afresh, Lord. Help us to open up your scriptures and find wonders within it that we might apply them to our lives that we might see you clearly in our lives and in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives now. And Lord, yet thank you for what you will do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have been working our way through the book of First Kings, and in our last several studies, we've said that Solomon is now at the pinnacle 
of his relationship with the Lord. He's basically at the highest point of his relationship with the Lord. He's closer now than he has ever been before to the Lord. Unfortunately, this closeness does not last. The closeness that Solomon now has with the Lord starts to wane. It starts to dissolve because little by little, Solomon falls prey to the sin of compromise. Solomon falls prey to the sin of compromise. What is compromise? Compromise is the weakening of one's reputation or character by accepting standards that are lower than is desirable. And here, in our lives, in the life of a Christian, the desirable standard is nothing less than the Word of God. It is what we live by. It is our creed. It is our book of life. Peter stood up to the Lord and said, where can we go? You have the words of life. Why would we go anyplace else? But that's what compromise does. It sneaks in unaware, little by little. Once again, we see Solomon becoming a man of compromise. He compromises character. He compromises his reputation. And sadly, he compromises his relationship with God. Solomon will always be remembered as the man who built the temple of God in Jerusalem. For this we cannot take away. For seven years he worked tirelessly, using the godly wisdom while dealing with Israel's neighbors to acquire the necessary materials, overseeing the manpower and constructing what would become the temple of the Most High God. Solomon took a personal interest, pushing everything else to the sidelines in order to finish this house. Solomon spared no expense in giving God his very best. Solomon wanted to give God his very best. And we talked about giving God our best. Not only in material, but in effort. Everything we do, we do as under the Lord. We give God our best. Solomon knew that it had been his father's David dream to build this house. Now Solomon would complete this magnificent structure that would be recognized all over the world as an architectural feat. And upon completion of the temple, Solomon then turned his attention to his own house. And although it took seven years to build the temple of the Lord, Solomon spends 13 years building his own palace. Like the temple, the palace was like no other. It was an opulent structure, meaning it was gaudy. It was filled with gold and silver. It was quite fasting, and it cost an enormous amount of money. When construction was finally completed on both houses, Solomon dedicated the temple of God. We've been reading through that. First thing he did was he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and put it in its proper place into the temple behind the veil. Once this was accomplished, the glory of the Lord fell upon the temple in a great cloud. The Lord's presence came through this dark cloud and it caused the priest's knees to grow weak. The priest could not minister because their knees were so weak because the presence of the Lord was so powerful upon them. 
Have you ever experienced the presence of God in this fashion? Oh, would that we would. Would that we would experience the presence of God in that fashion where our knees would be weak, standing there. This is what the priest felt. A time of fellowship with God where you couldn't stand, where you're basically driven to your knees in worship and glory of a most high God, a beautiful creator of the universe. This is what the priest felt. God's presence was so powerful. The cloud filling the area. The Shekinah glory of God. So Solomon blesses the temple. And then he prays a prayer of dedication. And upon praying this prayer of dedication, the Lord answers his prayer immediately. The Lord speaks to Solomon, which is where we were last week in verses 1 through 9. The Lord spoke to Solomon for the second time. He answers Solomon's prayer in a big way. He tells him that his eyes, the Lord's eyes and the Lord's heart would be upon the temple perpetually. In other words, it would always be upon the temple. God's eyes and God's heart would be upon the temple. He would hear the people's prayers as they presented it to them. He would hear their prayers. The Lord spoke to Solomon personally. And he said that, Solomon, if you would walk in my presence, if you would walk in my presence in integrity of heart, like your father David did in uprightness, if you would keep my commandments, if you would keep my statutes, if you do the things right, if you would live rightly in the sight of the Lord, then I will fulfill the covenant that I made with your father David. And someone from his seed would sit on the throne forever. But, The big word, but if they do not, God promised he would cut Israel off from the land. He would take away their inheritance, which was the land. The land was their inheritance. He would take it away. He said that they would become a byword with all the nations because they forsook their God. So Solomon is at the pinnacle of his relationship with the Lord. I want to stress that. And as we continue, we see Solomon now accomplishing things to advance his kingdom, to advance his life. Solomon accomplishes great and wonderful things for the kingdom. But as we will see, these activities begin to show cracks in Solomon's armor. They begin to show cracks in his character. These activities that he's doing and the way he deals with people start to expose weaknesses that in later life, will produce bitter times for Solomon. We see Solomon continue to compromise the standards of God and replace them with shrewd thinking and costly accomplishment because of pride. Over time, Solomon will leave his relationship with the Lord and become more interested in prices than value, more interested in his reputation than his character, And sadly, more interested in the splendor of the kingdom than the good of the people and the glory of God. And as we studied before, this didn't happen overnight. It began with a series of compromises. It began as these cracks in his character seemed to appear and he did nothing about them. He did nothing to correct them. He did nothing at all thinking that he could handle everything that was coming his way. And soon, 
we're going to find out that Solomon is drawn away from the Lord completely. He forsakes the Lord. These small compromises that Solomon began, these small compromises became major pitfalls. These cracks in his character would become great chasms between him and the Lord. They would divide him completely. Why? As I was studying this, and I know we've talked about compromise before, but for some reason the Lord wants to talk about it again. Compromise is the Christian's deadliest enemy. Compromise is the Christian's deadliest enemy. It's one of the most dangers faced in the Christian today. We give in here. We give in there. We don't think it's any harm. And then pretty soon down the pike, we're caught up into a situation that we never saw coming because of the first little compromise long ago. Compromise is a tool by Satan himself. Compromise is clever. It's seductive. It's deadly. It's one of the most deadly tactics that Satan has ever invented. And he uses it against Christians. See, Satan knows that the majority of us are not just going to go out and commit some horrendous sin. Just not going to go out and do that. He knows that. He knows he's not going to be able to get us to do that. No. He would rather convince us to lower our guard. He would rather convince us to lower our guard a little bit at a time, to lower our standards ever so much, and that gradually we hardly realize it, and then we stumble and we fall. And instead of falling head over heels into sin, we just drop our standards. Oh, that's okay. What does that hurt? That's okay. And we do it sometimes out of love. We drop our standards. Instead of correcting, we love. Trying the love covering a multitude of sin. Love covering up evil. But yet sometimes we need to tell somebody, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. And sometimes when they hear that, they're changed. And sometimes they're not. Instead of falling head over heels in the sin, we drop our standards one notch at a time until our integrity is impaired. Our integrity no longer means anything. You know, I've said a million times, my definition of integrity is what you do when no one's looking. What you do when no one's looking. Those little small things. Not only is our integrity impaired, our character is challenged and damaged. And then most of all, most importantly, we damage our relationship with God. We damage it. This is where Solomon is. I said all that to get you back to the scriptures because this is where Solomon is. He's at this point. And we're going to see tonight where these little cracks come in. And they're kind of insignificant. And some of the scholars even might disagree on whether it was a, a compromise or not. But you got to look at it both ways. It appears that Solomon is weakening in his character. He's weakening. He's using the wisdom that God gave him for different means and different ways. Look at verses 10 through 14 as we begin. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. That king Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went to Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. And Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. 
So Solomon now deals once again with his old friend, the king of Tyre, Hiram. You remember that King Hiram was David's friend. And he became Solomon's friend as well. He was instrumental, if you remember, with providing not only material, but manpower to complete the temple. Hiram was very instrumental in doing this. In verse 14, it says, it was 120 talents of gold. Comes out to about four and a half tons. Four and a half tons of gold. In return, you remember that at first Solomon gave him what? What did Solomon provide for Hiram and the people of Tyre? Food. He supplied their needs and their food and all their supplies for them. In 1 Chronicles 22, in verses 14 through 16, it says that before the construction of the temple, Solomon had already had 3,750 tons of gold. But all this was dedicated to the Lord. All this couldn't be used for nothing else except for the Lord. So when Solomon started to build his own palace, we know from Scripture that his own palace was gold-studded with silver all over the place. His own palace. So he needed more gold. So he decides to borrow it from Hiram, and in return, he gives him 20 cities. Hiram particularly didn't like the cities that Solomon gave him. He called them Kabul, meaning good for nothing. (laughs) But it's interesting, though. Hiram kept his end of the bargain and gave Solomon the 120 things of gold anyhow. Hiram, in my opinion, was a better man in this instance. Hiram was a better man in this instance. The mistake Solomon made was what? What was the mistake Solomon made? What do you think? Held back? Okay, that was one. There's a bigger mistake that he made. He didn't have the right to give the land away. The land didn't belong to him. Who did it belong to? God. It belonged to God. And it says in in Leviticus 25, 23, you can't give the land away. You're not allowed to give the land away. It wasn't Solomon's to give. It was the Lord's. Remember, the land was to be to Israel what? The inheritance. It was given to them by God, but it never belonged to them because in Leviticus 25, 23, it tells them that they are what? Just like Abraham, just like us. What? Sojourners. Sojourners were just passing through. The land was there for them for a time. It wasn't to be theirs forever. One commentator said this, quote, This was not good. Hiram was a friend of both David and Solomon, but the land of Israel was given to Israel by divine decree. Trading Israel's land for a gracious temple and palace was not a good deal, unquote. So we see Solomon now starting to just have some character traits that are less than honorable. Let's face it. First of all, I think there's no way to treat a buddy. No way to treat a buddy, especially in business. Especially in business. If it had been not for Hiram's generosity, let's face it, folks, the temple would not have been built. All the cedar of Lebanon that, that Hiram provided, all the gold and all the men he provided. But Solomon had an extravagant taste. The cost of his palace, which was so much more than necessitated, he went back to Hiram and asked for more gold. Now, let's be fair. 
One commenter said the transaction may be described to show that Solomon was a shrewd dealer and better of Hiram in these arrangements. But if you're working for the Lord, shrewdness kind of doesn't have a part to play. You're doing it as unto the Lord. It seems that Solomon gave Hiram some fairly insignificant settlements and received a large amount of gold. Still, all in all, there's no way to treat a friend. What happened to love your neighbor part? Come on. Another commentator out of study said this, quote, We don't know exactly why Hiram was displeased with the cities. Perhaps he was displeased with his compromise, knowing that Solomon did something his father David would never do. So Solomon, so you see what I'm saying? It appears to be a crack. It appears to be something going on. Insignificant? Possibly. But this is what compromise does. It seems so insignificant. It seems so, well, who cares? Well, I got what I needed. He got the 20 cities. You know, it was a push. So the next thing we see is Solomon's now going to strengthen his kingdom. Let's read 15 through 24. And this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, Lower Beth Horim, Baalath, and Temor, and the wilderness in the land of Judah. All the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry and Whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, in all the land of his dominion, all the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites, and who were not the children of Israel. Oh, you didn't read that? Oh, okay. I have ites before my eyes. I'm sorry. I have ites before my eyes. That is their descendants who left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these, Solomon raised a forced labor, as it is to this day. But the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers, because they were men of war, and his servants, his officers, his officers, his captains, commanders of chariots and cavalry. Others were chief of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built. Then he built the Milo. So Solomon is strengthening his kingdom. He's using all his power, all his might, all his wisdom, and everybody else's money to strengthen the kingdom of Israel. He wants to strengthen it. He is described here by many, including Josephus, as a shrewd diplomat and a slick politician. That's what he's described at. He never missed an opportunity to increase his wealth or his power. We see Solomon raises a labor force to compete the building projects. They're listed for us. The house of the Lord, Solomon's house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Now, I've seen Megiddo. I've been there. We walked through it. It looked like it probably was a magnificent structure, a magnificent fortress. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 1 Kings or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you, and if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand and we'd still love for you to be part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com and don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we are grateful that you were a part of our listening audience today. Be sure to join us again next time for more from First Kings right here on Assure Hope.